Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills in all nations will flow to it. It can be a bit of a two-edged sword, this daylight savings thing. You've got an extra hour of sleep, perhaps, but your stomach's going to start growling an hour earlier than it should today. So a bit of a two-edged sword, but I, I hope you enjoyed an extra hour of sleep. I know I did. Although I've, I've gotten old, my body was awake before my alarm clock went off, and so now I know I'm getting old, but uh, anyway, I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. It's good to see you today. I uh, hope you've had a nice weekend. I want to say uh, before we get into the sermon this morning, appreciate uh, all the hands that prepared and went into uh, the sharing uh, festival or sharing that we had yesterday. Uh, you would not believe it if you weren't here Uh, Many of you provided uh, clothing and household items and things that we could share with our friends and neighbors around the building. And that fellowship room, the tables were just packed with things. It was unbelievable. And a lot of you ladies and some of you guys spent some time up here Friday sorting through it, getting it ready. Uh, Some of us were up here yesterday. And again, just want to say thank you to Cherie, to Karen, and to all of you who had any part in that at all. It was an amazing thing to see We had several people through here yesterday. We were able to provide information on the church. We were able to share and to give and to help. And so, uh, again, I appreciate you, uh, any of you who had any hand in that uh, whatsoever in uh, in making that come to fruition. Uh, We hope to do it again. And again, just want to say thank you. I do also want to make just a couple of quick housekeeping notes regarding our evangelism workshop, which starts a week from today. Uh, I just want you to know that next Sunday morning, uh, we will invert things. Bible classes are going to be at 9, and worship is going to be at 10.30. So we're going to, just for one Sunday, we're going to go back uh, and have Bible class first, and then we will have worship. Uh, We will not have Bible classes for our young people uh, next Sunday. We want our teachers to be in here, parents to be in here. And so uh, the training room, the nursery, all of that will be open Uh, So if it needs to be used, then please use it. But uh, again, we're going to have Bible class first, and then we're going to have worship. And we have not announced this yet, but we are going to have a meal uh, following morning worship next Sunday morning, a week from today. Uh, It's going to be catered, uh, so we don't need to provide anything, but there will be a meal uh, here at the building next Sunday morning. And so I wanted to make you aware of that as well. I do hope that you're planning to be here and to be a part of it. So uh, it's Basically set up like a gospel meeting would be, but we will have 9 o'clock, 10.30 a.m. next Sunday morning, and we'll have 5 o'clock worship just like always uh, next Sunday evening. Again, all of this Lord willing. And then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we will meet at 7 p.m. So again, that will be all next week. Uh, Be praying about that, thinking about it. I hope you've made plans to be here every time, but uh, it's going to be an exciting time, and so please do plan to be here for that seminar. I want to think along those lines this morning and again this evening, where, again, we're just thinking about it from a very positive and a very, I hope, 
capable way of looking into God's Word and thinking about these things. It is one of my favorite things to do, to look, and I've told you this before, but to look into God's Word and to understand that this is God's book and certainly cannot have come from the mind of man. One of the greatest proofs that we have of that being true, that this is God's book and not man's book, is to look at prophecy made and prophecy fulfilled. And so I want to do something very simple this morning, and that is to look at Isaiah chapter 2, the first four verses, and I want to notice seven things that Isaiah was able to look into the future and understand. The Cowboys are supposed to play this afternoon at noon, 12 o'clock kickoff. I don't know if I'll see it or not, but I have no idea, as I stand here today, I have no idea if the Cowboys are going to show up I have no idea how they're going to look. I have no idea if key players are going to get hurt. I have no idea what the outcome of that game is going to be, and neither do you, and neither does anybody else. We'll know by approximately 3.30 this afternoon, probably, how it went. But I have no idea how that game is going to go. Because I have no idea what the rest of this day holds. Do you? I have no idea what's going to happen tonight. I have no idea what's going to happen uh, tomorrow. I have no idea if any of this is even going to come. I have zero idea. And so when someone like Isaiah can look 700 years into the future and know what was going to happen, well, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? If you can look 700 years into the future and you can see what's going to take place, well, that's something really remarkable. And that tells me this is not man's book, but this is God's book. Now, I have one point. I want you to think about that title. I've left it up there now for a a few minutes. Excitement is contagious. I'm going to come back to that. All right, I want you just to kind of keep that in your mind. Excitement is contagious. I'm going to come back to it, but that's not where I'm going to start. I want to go through these first four verses in Isaiah chapter 2. Have your Bibles open, and you can just go through it with me, and we'll see it together, because this is exactly what Isaiah looked into the future and what he saw regarding the kingdom that was to be established in the latter days. That's exactly what he saw. And first of all, he saw a kingdom that was going to be established. A kingdom that was going to come to fruition. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the tops of the mountains. Isaiah looked 700 years. He didn't know he was looking 700 years, but that's exactly what we know. He was looking about 700 years into the future, and he saw a kingdom that was going to be established. He says it's going to happen in latter days. Some translations use the the term there, the last days. And we understand that we are living now in the last days. We understand that we've been living in the last days for about 2,000 years. Because the last day started at the cross when Jesus died. That tells us that there's not another law that's coming. There's not another Savior who's going to die. Jesus died. He ushered in His law. And we will live in these days until He comes again. That's where we find ourselves. But Isaiah says, in those days, this kingdom was going to be established. I have several verses there for you to reference. But it's interesting, isn't it, to think about. That's the same message that John the Baptist came preaching. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, Repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's exactly what Jesus repeated in verses like Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Isaiah was looking 700 years into the future, and he said, It's coming. 
this, this mountain, this kingdom is going to be established. And then John and Jesus come and they say, it's close. Isaiah is looking out and he's saying it's going to happen in the last days. But now you have a message of it is close. It is at hand. How close was it in the days of John the baptizer and in the days of Jesus? Well, Jesus would say, I'll tell you just a little bit more what you need to know. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, he says, There are some of you standing here, some of those who are listening to his voice, who would not taste death until the kingdom of God was present with power. And so it's at hand, it's close. In fact, there are some of you who are alive, who were in the days of Jesus, who were not going to die until the kingdom was present. Okay, we're honing in, aren't we? We're getting closer. Well, Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, based on the confession that Peter had made that Christ was the Son of God, Peter, uh, Jesus says on that rock, on that statement of fact, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And the point is, Jesus uses the terms church and kingdom interchangeably, synonymously. They're talking about the same thing. So Isaiah is looking into the future. And he said, I see a kingdom that's going to be established in the last days. And Jesus says, it's close, it's at hand. Some of you are not going to taste death. And he calls it his church. The church that he was going to establish. The church that he was going to build. He said it's going to be present in the lifetime of some of those who are hearing him speak. But when did it come? Well, we know in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 that there were some in the, in the days of Paul. In fact, Paul himself would say that we have been translated out of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son, into the kingdom of Christ. So it's present. It's present in the days of Paul. I just think it's astoundingly amazing that Isaiah was looking into the future and he tells us with certainty that there is a kingdom that's going to be established in the last days. And again, if we will study our Bibles and be honest with it, we will find when that kingdom was established. When the church was in Acts chapter 2. Well, we get more specific. I mean, Isaiah doesn't stop with the fact that it's going to be established He said, I want you to know something. There's really something special about this kingdom. If you continue in verse number 2, he says that it will be exalted above the hills. Brethren and friends, we are not talking about a man-made kingdom. We're not talking about a kingdom that was started by an individual. We're talking about the kingdom that belongs to God. And he says, it is going to be exalted above every other kingdom. He's not talking about the United States, is he? He's not talking about Babylon. He wasn't talking about Assyria. He he wasn't talking about Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. He wasn't referring to Rome and the Roman Empire. He wasn't referring to the Egyptians or any other empire. He wasn't talking about Russia. He wasn't talking about China. He wasn't talking about anything made by a man. This is a nation that's exalted above all kingdoms of men. We're talking about something much more precious much more special, that which is exalted above all other kingdoms, the kingdom of God. He calls it the house of God. The Lord's house is going to be established. The Lord's house is going to be exalted above all kingdoms of men. And that Lord's house is referred to in the New Testament in 1 
Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. That's one of many references we could give. But the church of the living God is referred to as the household of God, the house of God by Paul. And so we see that it is the Lord's church, the kingdom that belongs to Jesus, that is exalted above all other kingdoms of men. This is something to be excited about, something we need to know and we need to be willing to share with others. Isaiah, what else did you see? I'll tell you what I saw. I saw a kingdom that was going to expand. At the end of verse number 2, the Bible says that all nations shall flow into it. The beginning of verse number 3, many people shall come and say... I see a a kingdom that's going to be established. I see a kingdom that's going to be exalted above all kingdoms of men. I see a kingdom, Isaiah says, that's going to expand. How far? All nations. Many people. This is a picture that Isaiah sees of that kingdom that was coming. I see a kingdom that's not just going to be for the Jews. I see a kingdom that's not going to be just for one uh, group or race or gender of people. I see not a kingdom that's going to be just for those who are rich or for those who have much. He said, I see a kingdom that's going to be inclusive of all nations, of all people. And that's what we find taking place when the church was established. We see that the Jews were taught first, as the Bible said they would. We see that basically through Acts chapters 1 through 9. But beginning then in verse chapter 10 of the book of Acts, we find that the Greeks are invited. And now you have a church made up of Jews and Gentiles, all nations. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 and 12, Paul would say that Jesus came and He broke down that middle wall of separation between God and the Greeks, between the Jews and the Gentiles, between God and man, now all are invited to be in this exalted kingdom that belongs to Jesus. Now all men can be a part of that kingdom that is exalted above all others. All races, all nationalities, all skin colors, all languages, all are invited to be in the kingdom that Isaiah saw before it came into existence. Brethren, I want to remember that. I want to know that this is not just a kingdom for people that look like me or talk like me. This is a kingdom for all. That Jesus didn't die for a select few. He died for the world. John chapter 3 and verse 16. I want to remember that. I want to know that this is an exalted kingdom that was coming into establishment. That it was going to expand and it was going to fill the whole world. And then you continue into verse number 3 where the Bible says many people shall come up and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah, what do you see? I see a kingdom that's going to be established, exalted, that's going to expand, and it's going to be educated. Educated not in the teachings of man but educated in the Word of God. I see a kingdom that's not interested in following men and man's doctrine. I see a kingdom that's going to follow God and His teaching. I see a kingdom that's educated 
in the things of God. And that's why in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5, when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, the voice came from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. That's who educates us. That's who we need to be listening to. And if you turn in your New Testaments to the book of John, and you see the words of Jesus in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 48, He tells us what is so precious about this education, so precious about His Word and what He provides us. In John chapter 12 and verse 48, Jesus said, He who rejects Me and does not receive My words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Again, Jesus says, these are the words of eternal life. This is what will judge us in the end. Follow these words and you can go to be with my Father. He gave me these words, and these are the words that will judge us all in the end. Isaiah, what do you see? I see a kingdom made up of people who are educated in the ways of God. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. My friends, I'm just not interested. I'm just not interested in what man teaches. I'm just not interested in what man says is right and what man says is wrong. I'm not interested in what society tells us we can get away with or what we should be doing. I'm just not interested in being educated in the ways of the world. I want to be educated in the ways of God because Isaiah says, I see in this kingdom people who who are just striving to be obedient to God. Period. The end. That's what I see. I say that's what I see in this kingdom that's coming, that's going to be educated in the things of God. This is what I see. Aren't you thankful for what he saw? Aren't you thankful for what we see? And now we don't have to guess, but we can look at this and we can compare it to what came in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. And we can see all of this coming to fruition, that what God promised absolutely came true. The way, the exact way that God said it would happen is exactly the way that we see it happen. Isaiah, what else do you see? He said, I'll tell you what I see. I see great leadership. I see great leadership. Verse number four. He, he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. He is going to be the leader. He is going to be the law giver. I see Jesus and His leadership. And that's why your Bible will read similar to mine in Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, where it says not that man is the head of the church, but Jesus is. Again, we're not educated in the teachings of man, but we're educated in the ways of God. We're not looking to what the man says, but we're looking to Jesus and His leadership. Because He is head of of the church. You still have your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 2? There's a little word that's so important. It's the word of, O-F. And the Bible says in verse number 2 that it will come to pass in latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on the top of the hill. And then you go over to verse number 3 where your Bible says like mine, we're coming to go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. We're going up to the house 
of God. And then in verse number 3 at the end, the last sentence says, And the word of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem. Whose house is it? Whose word is it? Of the Lord. Of God. What does that mean? That means it belongs to Him. That word of carries with it ownership. This is the suit coat of Adam. It's Adam's suit coat, right? It's not hard to understand. You you have clothes and they belong to you. Those are yours. And so whose, whose kingdom are we referring to? Whose leadership do we need to be submitting ourselves to? It's not my house. It's not my kingdom. It's not yours. It's the kingdom of Christ. The church of Christ. That's what we're talking about today. That's what Isaiah saw 700 years before it came into existence. Let me give you just two more. So we see this kingdom that's going to be established and we see that it's going to be exalted above all kingdoms. That It's going to expand and it's going to be educated in the things of God and they're going to follow the leadership of Christ because it belongs to Him and not to any of us. Isaiah, what else do you see? I see, I see such great change. I see such great change Isaiah would see. That's what he would, would tell us. Again, in verse number 4, He will judge between the nations. He will rebuke many people. The leadership of God. But then the Bible says, They, those who are in the kingdom, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I'm telling you, this was as foreign a concept to the people in the days of Isaiah as anything ever could be. All they knew was war. All they knew was battle. All these people understood was the need to carry a weapon, a sword. All they knew was a spear and what a spear could do as you were arming yourselves to go into war, to arm yourselves to go into battle. And so for Isaiah to say, I'm seeing in the future this kingdom where they're not using swords as weapons. I see a kingdom where they're not using spears, that they're actually using these to work and to plow and to provide. And what he sees is a time of peace. I don't see war. I don't see hand-to-hand combat. I don't see man-made kingdoms infighting and fighting with those who are outside. I don't see conflict over land. I don't see battle over rights. I see peace in the kingdom. I see peace in the kingdom. A whole new tactic of war. Oh, he did not say that there would be no conflict because we live with conflict in our lives. He didn't look into the future and say, you know what, that old adversary of yours, the devil, he won't exist. He doesn't say that. The battle is still there. The armor of God is still necessary, Ephesians chapter 6. Isaiah is not seeing a time of of just complete and utter uh, harmony with people in the world versus people of of God. But he's saying, you know what, there's a change coming within this kingdom. This kingdom is bringing with it great change. 
If you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, this is what we see now under the kingdom of Christ as Paul was writing to Christians who are part of that church, that kingdom that was being looked and viewed by Isaiah. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 that therefore having been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace, don't we, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Isaiah is seeing. He's seeing a time where we have peace with God. A time where we as the disciples of Jesus Christ are displaying love to each other and to the world. It's not a time where there is no adversary, but a time where we're not battling as a human physical kingdom would. We're fighting Satan, yes but we're not fighting a physical war. Brethren, he was looking ahead to a time of a spiritual kingdom. He didn't see physical land. He didn't see physical, a physical nation. He was looking ahead to a time of peace within a spiritual kingdom. And that's what we find in the New Testament with the establishment of the church. Jesus would tell Pilate what in John chapter 18 and verse 36? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. That's what he was talking about. And that's what we see established in Acts chapter 2. That's the kingdom that you and I can be a part of even today. So you've got those six, right? You've got a kingdom established a kingdom that is exalted, a kingdom that was going to expand and to include the whole of the human race, all nations to be included. You have a kingdom that's going to be educated in the ways of God, a kingdom that is following the leadership of Jesus Christ, a kingdom that was going to change. It was not going to be physical, but a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that was not bent on on hand-to-hand combat, but was going to be fighting the adversary with the sword of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God. What's the seventh one? You still have that title of the sermon planted somewhere in the back of your mind. Excitement is contagious. Brethren, I want you to think with me this morning about that kingdom about that kingdom that was going to be established, exalted above all, going to expand to include every human being on the face of the earth, giving them an opportunity to be educated in the ways of God, to put themselves under the leadership of Jesus Christ, to be a part of His spiritual kingdom. I've come to remind us this morning that that is a message that should breed excitement that we can be a part of that kingdom and we can teach others about that kingdom. That's what Isaiah saw. Jumping back to verse number 3. The Bible says, Many shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways and we shall walk in His paths. Come and let us go. Come and let us be in that kingdom. Come and let us be educated by God and to be under the leadership of Christ. Come and let us find peace with God. Excitement. That's what Isaiah saw. An exciting time to be alive 
An exciting time to know that that kingdom is established and you and I can be privileged to be a part of it. And not only that, but you and I can be so excited that we just can't keep that message to ourselves. That we've got to say to someone else, Come! Come on! Come! You ought to be a part of this. Come and let us be a part of that kingdom. That's what we find in the New Testament, isn't it? Well, you know in John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42, you know that that John the Baptist had told his disciples, Behold, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you know that that his, his disciples, the disciples of John, Andrew and Philip, they would leave John and they would go and they would follow Jesus. And what's the first thing that that Andrew did? The Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42, that he went and he told his brother Simon, who was called Peter, he went and told Peter, Peter, we have found him. The Messiah is here. Come and see. And what do we find Philip doing? Philip, down further in John chapter 1, verses 43 through 49, he goes to his friend Nathaniel. Nathaniel, he is here. The Messiah is here. The anointed of God is here. He is in our presence. I've seen him. And Nathaniel was doubting at first. Is there really anything good that can come from Nazareth? What did Philip say? Come, come and see. And Nathaniel would come and he would follow Jesus. Before I'm done this morning, I want to do one more thing with you. Because I want you to notice that when the message of Jesus is proclaimed, when Jesus comes into town, good things, exciting things always follow. And so I just want for a moment to see this in your copy of God's Word and have you follow with me just through the first few chapters of the book of Acts. I want you to notice the excitement of when Jesus comes to town. I want you to see the excitement of what happens when the message of Jesus is preached, when it's taught, when people are invited to hear it. I want you to see the excitement. And so go to Acts chapter 2 and just see it with me. I'm not going to offer a ton of commentary here. I just want you to see it because it's not hard. When the message of Jesus is preached, excitement follows. Acts chapter 2 and verse 44 The Bible says, Now all who believed were together and they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with with gladness and simplicity of heart. And they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Daily, He's adding to their number. Daily, they're multiplying. This kingdom is the one that Isaiah saw. It's established right here in Acts chapter 2. The word of the Lord went forth from the city of Jerusalem exactly as Isaiah foresaw and said that it would. It starts here in Acts chapter 2. And there is gladness. And people are being saved. Imagine the excitement of being in that that city, and that time. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32. The Bible says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And listen, great 
grace was upon them all. Excitement, joy, sharing. We have all things in common. We now have the greatest things in common in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5, the Bible says in verse number 14, are you reading with me? And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. We're not living in the age of miracles today, but I want you to see that when the message of Jesus came to town, people were rejoicing. This was a good thing when Jesus came to town in His message. In chapter 5 and verse 40, Peter and John have been arrested and threatened not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And yet the Bible says in verse number 40 that they agreed with Him and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. Did you catch it? They're rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Listen, Isaiah did not see a time when the adversary was going away. Isaiah did not look 700 years into the future and see a time without conflict. He did not look into the future and see a time where the people of the world and the people of God would not be at odds against one another. But he did look into the future and he saw rejoicing even in suffering for the name of Jesus. Even in the face of persecution, there can be great joy, excitement of being at peace with God. That's what I want to remember. That's what he saw. That's what these apostles understood. And that's what I want to get. I go to chapter 8. Look at verse number 1. Here's the same point brought out again. Now Saul was consenting to his death, the death of Stephen. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Okay, so Isaiah says the word of the Lord is going to go forth from Jerusalem. Jesus told the apostles, stay in Jerusalem. And then we find that word starting in Jerusalem... But then Jesus says, it's going to spread. That's what Isaiah saw, right? It's going to expand. He says, it's going to go into Judea and Samaria and then to the rest of the world. And that's what we see taking place right here, just as they said it would in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. But I keep reading. Verse number 3, the Bible says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, doing what? Preaching the Word. That's what they were going to do. They were not going to be stopped. Why? Because they had an exciting message to tell. You can kill me. I don't care. I've got an exciting message to share. The message of the cross. The message of Jesus. The message of salvation. They were not going to be quiet. They would not be stopped. There's a message to proclaim. And so you see in verse number 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. He preached Christ to them. 
And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was what? Great, great joy in that city. We live in a sad world. We live in a world where many are downtrodden with life. They're struggling in so many ways. You want to bring great joy to a city? Well, just bring the message of Jesus. I want to be excited. I want to be excited to preach this message. In Acts chapter 8, we could just continue on and on. You know in verse 39 that a man, after obeying the gospel, went on his way rejoicing. Underline it. It's very important. It's there. And then I look at chapter 9 and verse 31, and the Bible says that the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, and they were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Listen. We're having an evangelism seminar. I want to be better at evangelizing to those around me. As a congregation, I want us to live up to our greatest potential in evangelizing the city and neighborhoods in which we live. This is the key. This is what we need to know. These people were at peace with God. They were at peace with one another. And they were excited to share the message of the cross. And there was great joy. And they were multiplied. Doesn't your Bible say it? And they were multiplied. I want to give great thought to the thrilling plan that God always had in place. I want to give great thought to the excitement of the cross and the message of Jesus, that He came as God in the flesh and He died for the sins of the world, that He established His kingdom, the church, and the saved are found there and be willing to take that message with excitement to my friends who are lost, that they can find joy in Jesus. It's not my message and it's not yours. It's the message of the cross. It's the message that saves. To know that there is a kingdom that has been established. To know that it doesn't belong to any one of us, but it belongs to Jesus who died to purchase her. Acts 20 and verse 28. That there is a remedy for sin because the price was paid. I didn't pay it and neither did you. But we are the beneficiaries of the sacrifice of Jesus, that we can find peace with God through Him. And we can take that powerful message, the gospel, and proclaim it, finding honest and open hearts, seeking to be right with God. Great joy can be found in proclaiming the gospel. This morning, I want us to just think about that kingdom that Isaiah saw. And I want you to know this morning that if you're not a part of that kingdom, There's no reason to leave here today not a citizen in the kingdom that belongs to Christ. You can be right with God because of Him. And this morning we would beg with you to do those things that He says you must if you want to be be saved. That's what Isaiah saw. He saw a way of salvation. It was coming. And it's found only in Jesus. This morning, if you're not a citizen of that kingdom, do you believe Jesus to be the Son of God? 
Are you willing to repent of sin in your life? Are you ready to confess the name of Jesus before men, to be immersed in the waters of baptism, to have your sins washed away, having repented of your sin? You can be right with God. and That's an exciting message to share. As a Christian this morning, I want you to think about yourself. You see, evangelism is done in a number of ways. I'm not saying that you necessarily have to be the one sitting down across the table from someone. Uh, it's not, the Bible doesn't say that that's absolutely what your responsibility might be. Your responsibility might be and your capability might be to uh, extend an invitation. Uh, your, uh, your opportunity may be in just speaking good things about Jesus in your life and in your daily walk. Any number of ways to be an effective evangelist. And it takes a number of ways to be a congregation of evangelism. But this morning, my friend, as you think about your life and your influence, and you think about what you're providing others to see, if you see yourself this morning as a Christian, well, not being excited, not showing that excitement, having forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sin, having allowed yourself to wander back into the world and to separate yourself from Christ, I've come with exciting news that that can be forgiven. That you can be right with God. That you can be a child of His and you can be in a peaceful relationship because of Jesus in Him. And this morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, it's extended to all. 